Money FM 89.3, best of workday afternoon. And welcome to Market View Wrap of the Week. And joining us on the line, as always, is Mr. Jeff Howey, market strategist at the SGX. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Melissa. Okay, let's dive right into it. It's Friday, after all. We want to, like, you know get things going quickly and finish up quickly. Okay, Singapore shares opened higher today following U.S. equities rally. How would you describe the STI's performance in the past week? Probably in one word, consolidation. Mm-hmm. So so what I mean by that, it's, it's essentially consolidated. It, it's opened just right, just a, a very, very, very close to 3,100 on Monday morning. It's printed the week high uh, pretty soon after the Wednesday open at 31.30 before returning down to 30.90 on Wednesday and back now at 3100, mm. exactly where it opened on Monday. So mm. it means during the week the STI has gained something like one-tenth of a percent, trading within a very comparatively narrow 1.5%, 45-point range, brings the year-to-date total return to 1.3%, still defensive when you look at a FTSE developed index down 18%. But by consolidation, I really mean little movement. In fact, Mm. if you look over the five of the past six sessions, the STI has closed uh, in the three zero nine zeros. But within the STI, and this is this is one thing we always like to stress, Melissa. There's there's always a lot of difference and a lot of uh, you know, as we said, a lot of moving parts that make up the sum of the parts of the STI. So your five strongest performers for the week, they include three REITs, Maple Tree mm. Industrial Trust, Keppel DC REIT, and Maple Tree Commercial Trust. I think mm. Semcorp Industries, Singtel also in there. But the two weakest stocks were the same uh, year-to-day outperformers. So the two weakest stocks in the STI, Jardin Cycling Carriage and Yangtze Jiang Shipping. So when you look beyond the benchmark, just because the STI is up, as I said, one-tenth of a percent this week, there's a 10% differential between the FDI's strongest uh, stock for the week, mm. our Maple Tree Industrial Trust up 5.6%, and Jardine Cycle and Courage was down 4.1%. So Maple Tree and uh, Industrial Trust in Keppel DC REIT, I should just make one more note, they, 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 their gains were in line with global data centre REITs this week, which mm. actually did outpace and lift global REITs this week. So... Um, REITs were also among the better performer global stocks mm. this week when you look across all the sectors. Mm. And what does it tell you about investors and the state of mind they're in right now? Oh, there's just so much in our market. It's it's a, it's there's, there's all the various segments. It's not just REITs. It was consumer staples. Um, I guess it's showing that there's you know there, there could be a little bit of interest in the defensive sectors. So utilities and consumer staples, as we said, is still there, mm. um, albeit with the benchmarks not really moving too much mm-hmm. uh, and then of course within the different sectors you have the various different industries and we did see that the data center REITs actually uh, lag uh, much of the global REITs so far this year but uh, might be just a little bit of uh, rotating or rebalancing Melissa in terms of especially in terms of when you see Jardine Cycle and Carriage our weakest stock for the week which, um, as I said, I think we might have been saying over the past few programs, it's been the strongest stock for the STI so far this year. So it could be, as I said, a little bit of that uh, portfolio rebalancing. And of mm. course, we're coming towards the mid-year, so it's the time to do it. Mm. And we actually had some um, pretty pertinent data out of Singapore yeah. uh, just yesterday, actually, exactly this time yesterday. Um, CPI continued climb in May. That's cons- the consumer price index, uh, with headline inflation hitting about 5.6% up from 5. in April. Um, Were these uh, results within your expectations? Yeah, I 
think it was very predictable, actually. Mm. It was very much like the April report. The 5.6% was mainly driven by private transportation costs. So they were up close to 19% year on year. Mm. And private transport actually maintains a 12% weight in the overall headline CPI. Mm. So if you um, omit that from the core CPI, which the MAS Mm. follows, you've got the core CPI up 3.6%. But at the Mm. same time, electricity and gas, again, saw the highest year-on-year increase of 20% Mm. year-on-year, very similar again to April. But that actually does maintain a much lesser, something like 3% weight in the core CPI and even less Mm. 2% weight in the headline CPI. Mm -hmm. But looking forward, um, the MTI has noted that the core inflation forecast is forecast to pick up further in coming months before moderating towards the end of the year. Uh, But uh, obviously, external inflationary pressures can recede, but there's also those upside risks um, from geopolitical and pandemic-related shocks that can can impact that. Yeah, and of course, I think um, looking forward to the next month's data, there's a likelihood that we could see quite a jump in in CPI because, you know, it was in June, only in June, that Malaysia uh, decided to halt its exports of uh, live chicken. Right. Yeah, exactly. so, so we're looking at food prices. Oh, you know. there's, there's, a, there's so much information in that report, Melissa. Um, I, I worked out that it's actually more uh, economical to buy fruits now. Fruits aren't, are actually <laughs> for now. decreasing in price. Yeah, <laughs> for now. the last 12 months, they're down. Yeah, I know. But you can, you can, if you want to be super productive and circumnavigate the price pressures, there's yeah. there's a lot of information in uh, in those reports. Yeah, but if you think about it, with the weather that we're having right now and in the region, so much rain. There's a possibility that fruit, uh, you know, agriculture could be affected by too much yeah. rain, and then you know those prices will, will you know, uh, go up too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That that's a massive uh, key driver of the agricultural markets. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not going to jinx it and, and, and talk about the rain so much. Okay. Let's now look to the west, right? Where may I? Uh, would it be accurate to say things could potentially be worse than in in the region? Uh, what's happening in the U.S.? The Fed chair Jerome Powell he has acknowledged recently that steep interest rate hikes could actually tip the U.S. economy into recession. In fact, we've seen uh, a number of uh, voices, uh, banking institutions coming out to say the same, and some already now raising the odds of, uh, uh, I suppose, you know, because it was triggered by the, not triggered by the U.S., but because if the U.S. would go into recession, that means the rest of the world is likely to also catch the cold, right? Yeah. That global recession odds are up to 50%. But we do have now, uh, interestingly, one of the very few, if the only voice I've heard so far, uh, U.S. Bank J.P. Morgan saying that it does not expect an economic recession to materialize anytime soon, that it in fact uh, is looking at a possible reacceleration in global economic growth. Yeah, so that's, that's... it's confusing to non-economists like myself, you know, all these different voices. Very, very different voices because uh, markets and economies, particularly these days, are very dynamic. And and I think uh, that there's, there's, I mean, we used to say, what, 10 years ago, the, the black swan event and so forth, but th- those type of things are a lot more common now. Um, so taking into account new factors that can structurally change the outlooks and the paradigms that uh, many bankers uh, and central banks are looking at, um, it's, it's very evident in these days. And I think, um, for instance, if you look at what Jerome Powell had the opportunity to do this week, it was really to to rally the U.S. House of Reps, the Senate, to explore more supportive economic policies, especially housing policy, that can seek to offset some of the growth deceleration that can follow higher interest rates because the Fed really does have to narrow down its focus on providing price stability. 
Um, and as the Fed chair showed us two years ago, he's certainly more about Main Street than he is about Wall Street. And if you thread together his responses to, I guess, both the House of Reps and the Senate, he agreed with Congressman Meeks that the confluence of the supply demand drivers of inflation was very much like a perfect storm. And he agreed with Senator uh, Elizabeth Warren that higher rates will will not do anything to reduce energy prices or supply chain constraints. So Congressman Meeks, Senator Warren, they're both Democrats, but there was also a bit of to and fro, obviously, from Republicans on how the US administration fiscal incentives were contributing to inflation. But I think the area that markets will really focus on going into the next four weeks, uh, the 27th July FOMC, I think it is next. I think the outlook for supply chains will be a big focus. That was a, that's been a clear driver of inflation, but it's one that has less visibility or transparency than energy prices for policymakers. Mm. So I can tell you supply chains, they also impact our local stock market a lot. And mm. as far as the indicators are, when you're looking into the past week, We've got our freight off uh, global index. Um, it's declined something like 36% from its highs in September. It's still five times the uh, pre-COVID level, but that's a that's a good benchmark for container rates. And then if you look at the Baltic dry, which is more uh, about the bulk uh, and the raw materials, the unfinished goods per se, that's down 50% of uh, mm. that index from its October 2021 highs. So we are seeing some thawing out of those uh, pretty high supply chain costs. Okay. And and in terms of the way markets are reacting, um, they were very cautious uh, yesterday, right? Mm. Especially after, you know, uh, Fed Chief's warning. Um, do you expect that to extend to next week? Yeah, the, the, I, I think uh, possibly because we, we need the big events, obviously, to really drive markets. Uh, there, there is, it really, I guess, depends what comes out of these um, these meetings next week in Europe, uh, which we can talk about towards the end of the end of the program. But I think, really, as we've seen, sectors are all moving very differently and will react differently to uh, to the various uh, data points that come out. So, industrial profits will be in focus in China on Monday. Industrial production's in focus today for us in Singapore. And just uh, 20 minutes ago, we reported a very very strong number. Uh, mm. We were expecting industrial production to be up around 5.5% in May. It's actually up just shy of 14%. That's one mm. four. Um, and that's that's super important for us because that's always been a very strong part of our economy. Mm. Um, it, it's, it takes the growth of the first four months closer to 10%, you know, probably around nine, eight, 8%, 9% now for the first five months of 2022, following 13% growth last year. Um, it was expected to be more moderate uh, for the remaining of the year because we did have this high base rate achieved, uh, for the, especially for the latter half of last year. But this is a really important part to our stock market. Uh, manufacturing is really important to regional trade. Regional trade is really important to manufacturing. And the level of resilience of regional trade will factor into the outlook, I think. Think as well. So I, I should mention, you know, there is just so many similarities between um, our manufacturing gauges and our stock market. When you look at our most traded stocks that have significant manufacturing activity, they, they really do span all those main facets of our industrial production print. We've got stocks that are manufacturing electronics, chemicals, medical, precision engineering, transport engineering, and of course, the general manufacturing. And mm. 
-hmm. just as we said, regional trade is really super important in manufacturing. Um, a lot of those stocks, they're not so much, um, a lot are based obviously here in Singapore, but we've also got quite a few number that are based in our biggest trading partners like China, Malaysia and Indonesia. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, we'll continue to take the cues, Melissa, but in terms of no, um, there's no sort of big uh, central bank key um, G7 central bank meeting plan for next week that can mm. actually move the interest rates and the currencies and, the, mm -hmm. you know. The, the equities. Okay, well, we just have a couple of minutes to talk about um, currencies, which we must, yep. right? Okay. Uh, we've seen a lot of developed uh, currencies weakening against the dollar this year, including the yen. The yen, in fact, has lost about 20% since the beginning of the year. So yeah. uh, we're looking at a possible... I, I spoke to somebody, a senior you know, uh, executive, who, who's looking at a potential uh, collapse of the yen. Is that really? too alarmist? <laughs> uh, look, I, I mean, what's, what's driving much of the the, the currencies is is the US dollar strength and on a trade weighted ba basis the US dollar it's it's come back up a little bit it's down one percent from uh, two weeks ago but it's still up eight percent from the end of last year uh, which is really ba been on the back of higher interest rates in the US and then it was already an up eight percent in 2021 and that was based on its um, acceleration of growth so again you've got two factors you've got rates driving it this year you had growth driving it last year so much of that relative performance to the US, like in Japan, it really is to do with relative growth and relative interest rates to, to the US. And that they're both obviously influenced by inflation. Uh, in addition, of course, to, to how the individual growth drivers of each different country are faring. So um, case in point, the Japanese yen, as you say, it's declined something like between 15 to 20% to the US dollar so far this year. Mm -hmm. But it's also had very slow GDP growth. And the Bank of Japan is remaining on hold with an easing bias. So this obviously uh, affects the relative price of the yen to the US dollar for big um, movements of international capital. Uh, look at Indonesia. The, the rupiah has it's depreciated just 4% to the US dollar this year. It has been maintaining a 5% GDP growth rate on very strong consumer confidence, while the Bank of Indonesia kept rates unchanged throughout the first half. So growth helped Indonesia more mm -hmm. so than rates. For, for, for the Aussie in Australia, that's declined 7% to the US dollar this year. Australia's been okay with growth, something like 3, I think 3.3%, but the RBA has been much slower to moving the official cash rate, which I think is now 0.85% compared to 1.5 to 1.75% mm. in the US. So obviously the US dollar is still offering that stronger return than investments in the Australian dollars, which accounts for that outperformance. So okay. yeah, that's really got to do with central bank policy and relative growth. Okay, lots to digest uh, for, for over the weekend ahead of next week's uh, trading uh, period. So, Jeff, thank you as always for Pleasure. spending Thanks a Friday so afternoon with us. Yeah, look forward to talking again next yes. Friday. Thank you. Yes, thank you. That was uh, Jeff Howie, market strategist at the SGA, sharing with us his time and his insights. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.